Amen. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. You can't get excited about all of that. I don't know what else there is. Uh, Between the children and the kids and the choir and the worship team, what a blessing. What a blessing to be in the house of the Lord today. Uh, You couldn't see the kids because the pulpit was hiding them, but they were uh, do-lording it back here pretty hard and heavy, so... That was good stuff. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 1 John. Uh, we're continuing in our series, Life-Changing Apps, looking at the book of 1 John. Uh, you can join us there at the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, I saw a survey this last week that really interests me online. It's gotten a lot of attention online. It's a survey that was put out by some researchers at North Carolina State, and uh, it's gathered some momentum. I saw that it was on several of the morning shows talking about it. And what they've done is they've looked at different names that are found throughout the United States of America for, for common things, but how we call things by different names according to the region that we live in. And what they've done is they asked, what do you call this, and certain areas of the country, and they came up with a consensus, and they drew a map of the United States, over 25 different items that we call by different names depending on where you live. Uh, so I thought it'd be good, as I'm going to be talking about names this morning, to, to see kind of where we fall in this congregation. And so I'll share with you uh, a few of those things just to make you think, uh, give you, your mind a chance to think. What do you call it in your home When you have a bunch of stuff that's accumulated and you decide to have a big sale out in front. Now, do you call it a rummage sale? How many of you call it a rummage sale? Anybody? A yard sale? See, a majority of people in the northeast and northwest call it rummage sale. In the southeast, it is a yard sale. In the midwest, it is garage sale. How many garage sales do we have? There you go. What do you call a stack sandwich that has several types of meat and cheese? In the Northeast, they call it a hoagie. In the West, they call it a hero. In the South, in the Midwest, they call it a sub. And in Boston, they call it a grinder. What about a tube of encased meat that you put on a bun? Some people call it a frankfurter. Some people call it a frank. Some people call it a wiener. Some people call it a sausage. Some people call it a hot dog, depending on where you live. More importantly, probably the most famous of separations is what do you call that dark carbonated drink that you get at a fast food restaurant? Because you see, this is a divisive point across the country. If you live in the West and the Northwest, you'd call it soda. If you live in the Northeast and the Midwest, you might call it pop. But here in the South, our first inclination when looking for a drink like that, we call it Coke. Amen? Coke. Say, no, Dr. Pepper, Pepsi. It doesn't matter what it is. It's called Coke in my house. See, that's a matter of branding. You see, names have meaning, but some companies have done such a good job in branding those things that really, uh, instead of calling it by what its name may be, we call it by its brand. There are a lot of things that have happened that way. I remember when the first cassette recorder came out portably that you could carry around. It was called a Walkman. Even though Walkman was a brand, everyone had a Walkman. When the first MP3 players came out, 
Uh, everyone called them iPods. It doesn't matter if it was uh, by Apple, if it was a music player and portable, you called it an iPod. Matter of fact, Apple has done such a great job with their branding and their name brand that uh, most smartphones, when they came out, people just called them an iPhone. Uh, even to this day, as that changes, people still call tablets a pad because of the iPad. See, names have meaning, and branding allows us to understand what those names mean. They're important to us. Our name is important to us. Not only does it identify who we are, but it also identifies to other people a little bit about us, a little bit about our families, a little bit about our heritage, a little bit about our history. You see, our names indicate a little bit about where we come from. They have some meaning. In my life, uh, my parents... Didn't spend a whole lot of time when it came to naming me. Uh, most parents, it's an ordeal. Most parents, it's a difficulty. Uh, people spend lots of time and energy. My dad, uh, growing up in Houston, was a baseball fan. And so the Houston Astros in 1965 had a player by the name of Rusty Staub. And so he said, my son's going to be Rusty. Uh, my mom compromised. She said, what if he ever has a job where Rusty sounds silly? Let's call him Russell. That's the truth of how my name came to be. So whether or not you think my job here is serious enough is whether you call me Russell or Rusty, I assume. Now, I, when I decided to name my kids, I, I decided to go with something a little more uh, meaningful. My favorite Bible character is the character of Caleb in the Old Testament. The Bible says he had a different spirit about him. And so I knew that when I had a son, I wanted to name him Caleb. Uh, now, I also wanted to name him after my favorite baseball player, who happened to be Nolan Ryan. So my son's name is Caleb Ryan. Uh, if I had another son, he was going to be Joshua Nolan. Uh, instead, I had a Cassidy Faith. Uh, so names have meaning. Your parents spent a lot of time, a lot of effort into how they were going to name you. Some of us are named after our grandparents. Some of us are named after uh, people that were meaningful in our parents' lives. But it's a big deal because you have to stick with that name. You become that name, whether you want to or not, for the rest of your life. See, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a name. The name that most people identify us as is Christian. Now, did you understand that Christian, when it was originated, was a derogatory term used to put people down that followed Jesus? It was a negative term. They would say, there goes those Christians, those Christ followers. But that name has meaning. But this morning, what I want you to see in our study is that the Apostle John is going to give us an even more important name. Each one of us in this room has a name beyond the name that your parents picked out for you. And it's a name with meaning. It's incredibly descriptive. Sometimes it's a name that's difficult for us to grasp. So I want you to hear what John says, who you are. John chapter 2 starting in verse 28, and this is one of those times where the translators didn't pick a good break to stop and start the chapter. The school of thought starts here in verse 28. John saying, and now, he's been talking to young believers. This is, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, you may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. For if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, he uses a term there, that born of him, to indicate this idea of a second birth. 
Now, John's not introducing that. Jesus introduced that about being born again, that anyone that asks Jesus into their heart, that becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, is really born again. You remember the Pharisee, Nicodemus, had a tough time with that. He said, how can I be born again? And Jesus says, once you were born with water, and it's the second time you were born of the Spirit. And so what, what John is saying here is that how do you identify someone that is a follower of Christ? You know that they have experienced a second birth. You know that they were been born of God and then secondly, born of the Holy Spirit. And you see what he's trying to get at is to help us understand that no longer are we the same person we were before we accepted Christ. We now have a new name. We now have a new family. We now are a part of His new covenant, and there's something different about us. And while John is writing this, and while John is thinking about this, he is overcome with something that overwhelms him that he can't help but pour out on the paper. He's overwhelmed with this idea of what it means to be born again, to to have a new family. And listen to what he says. It it just pours out of him in chapter 3, verse 1. For how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, you are a child of God. Do it. Do you believe it? See, the problem for us is that we understand that name, we hear that name. Matter of fact, if you've grown up in church, you've heard it all your life, but we really don't understand the ramifications of what that name means. You see, this is one of those times where the writers, uh, uh, the translators of the NIV, which is what I read, uh, don't really get it right. I like the way the translators of the King James say it. The King James translates the Greek a little better. The King James says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. You see what John is saying is John is getting wrapped up in this idea of being born again and having a second birth and a new beginning and a new start. And all of a sudden, that behold is like a flashing light. He says, wake up, wait a minute, don't miss this. I don't want you to run by this. I don't want you to take this for granted. Listen to what I'm about to say. Behold, what manner of love. Now that word manner there is a strange word. It's the Greek word potopos. You see where the NIV says how great. The King James says manner, and manner here is translated foreign. See what John is saying is, listen to this. The love that God has to you is out of this world. Reality-wise, if you wanted to translate that straight from the Greek, it says, what country is he from? What country is this from? It'd be like you and I saying, what planet is that person from? When they do something that's so crazy, it's the same verse that's used in Mark when, when, when Jesus is asleep on the boat and the storms and the waves start crashing in. You remember that story and the disciples are scared and they wake Jesus up and Jesus stands up and says, peace be still. You remember what the disciples said? What manner of man is this? That even the seas... And the waves obey him. John is using that same kind of word here to describe the love that God has for you. I want you to think about that for a minute. It's a love that we can't explain. It's a love that we can't comprehend. It's a love that the poets have tried to put down on paper for 2,000 years. And it doesn't do it justice. 
It's one of the reasons I think that song, How He Loves, that we sang earlier, resonates so much to those that sing it because it's our way of trying to grasp a hold of the concept that God, the creator of the world, God, the one who spoke the stars into being, pursued you with His love. And He demonstrated that love to you through the gift of His Son and His death on the cross. See, that love is so hard for us to understand because it's so not of this world, what John says. It's so beyond anything we can comprehend. It's so beyond anything that we can grasp. You see, the Bible writers tried to explain it. James says that this kind of love is unearthly. For every good and perfect gift comes from above, our Heavenly Father. John tells us that the love we try to grasp is unselfish. For God so loved the world. He gave. Jeremiah tells us that the love God has for us is unending, for you are loved with an everlasting love. Paul, in his wordsmith ways, tries to explain it by saying it's unexplainable. It passes all understanding. He says it's undeserved in Romans 8, because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And he says the love that God has for us can never be conquered. Romans 8, he says this, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, for in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And if that doesn't get amen, I don't know what will. Amen? Amen. This is the love that God has for you. This is the love that God pours out on you. I want you to think about this. John's writing this. He's almost 90 years old. He's not some new young Christian that just stumbled into this. John, the, the love... Apostle John, the one who writes about love. And here in the middle of this letter, while he's talking about what it means to be born again, he is overwhelmed with the sense of God's love for him. He is blown away. You see, we get so comfortable with it. We get so used to singing about it and hearing about it and talking about it that we never fully grasp what it means. We never fully grasp how incredible it is. In the church, we rush by it and and we complain because somebody doesn't like us or something didn't happen the way we wanted or we were rejected, all the while not recognizing that you are loved and accepted by the only person that counts. John says it's this kind of love, this unearthly, unexplainable, undeserving, unselfish, unending, unbelievable kind of love that the Father has lavished, is what the King James Version says, on us. And you know what that lavish, that bestowed, that means that He is giving, not just once, ongoing giving, you His love purely because He loves you. You see, God didn't look down and say, I think they deserve love. 
I think that person needs some love purely out of the goodness and greatness of his heart. God suspends time and energy and pours out his love on you and I. It's an unbelievable, uncommon, extraordinary love that you and I can barely fathom because we look at the things of this world and and we say love and we talk about love, but we really don't grasp it. See, this morning I want you to hear me. When you're feeling alone, when you're feeling rejected, when you feel hurt, when you feel abandoned, when you feel like no one cares, there's a promise you can hang on to. How great is the Father's love towards you that you are a child of God. See, I hurt because there's some in this room that have never experienced that love. Some in this room that are searching for love in different places. Searching for completeness in in another person or, or in an activity or in something out that the world is offering you. And you've never experienced an unconditional, overwhelming love that doesn't depend on who you are or what you look like or how you were raised, but simply because God loves you. This morning, I don't want you to walk away from Jesus Christ's love. Now, you could take chapter 3, verse 1 and preach a whole sermon series on it. We could stop there and that would be enough for you to comprehend. But I want you to hear where John is going with this. Because this is where the water hits the wheel for you and I. See, what John is saying is because of this new birth and since we have been adopted in Christ... The result of this crazy love is you have a new identity and you have a new name. What does he call you? A child of God. A son and a daughter of God. Do you realize that God took you and adopted you into his family? It's not just something we're called. It's not just a name. It's not just something that other people put on us. It is God's gift to you and I. It's who we are. See, I want you to listen to this. I want you to catch this. The Bible is full of names for God. If you go down and look through the Old Testament and look through the New Testament, you'll find all types of Hebrew and Greek names. You have Elohim, which means the strong one. You have Jehovah, which means Lord. You have El Shaddai, my all-sufficient one. Adonai, the one who protects and owns me. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Nisi, my protection. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals me. Jehovah Shalom, the one who brings me peace. But when Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Now when you pray, I want you to pray this way. Did he say Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, Elohim? No. He said, when you pray, pray this way. My Father. My Father. You see, what John is reminding us in this beautiful passage is that you and I were created for an intimate relationship with the Father. Not some off cousin, some crazy uncle, some man upstairs, some gray-haired man on a throne, my Father. And if we can ever as a church 
We can ever as Christians begin to wrap our hands around that. You see, as a part of the family, God is all of those things to me. He is my provider. He is my peace. He is my healing. He is my protection. But He's also my Father. A Father who chose me. A Father who pursued me. A Father who chased after me. That paid the ultimate price for me. Who adopted me. Listen again how Paul describes it in Romans 8. He says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you understand what that means? You see, what he's saying is that God is not just somebody out there, but He is right here. That He's not just some distant Father. He's not somebody that you can't talk to, that you can't pray with, that you can't depend on, that you can't go to. He is right with you. The word Abba is the most intimate term in the Jewish language. It it literally means Papa, Daddy. You see, what Paul is saying is you have a God and a father who wants to be intimate with your every needs. He wants to talk with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be a part of your life, a part of your decisions, part of your coming and your going to the point that you call him Papa. I remember one time I was going through an airport in New York City. We were taking a flight and connecting on to South America. And uh, we were in the airport and This little boy, probably three or four, was lost. Uh, He was running around looking. I I don't know if his mom or dad had wandered away, but he, he was looking and he was screaming with his lips, Abba, Abba, Abba. And just listening to that little boy, the Holy Spirit hit me. said, when's the last time you cried out to your daddy like that? You see, the Bible says that's the privilege because of the great, incredible love that we have. That we are now children of God. We're now a part of the family. He tells us in verse 2 here that the world will never get it. He says the world will never recognize you. Why? Because it doesn't recognize Him. The world can't explain, can't understand this kind of love. See, the world will tell you you've got to deserve it. You have to earn it. You have to do something. But John reminds us that it's an unconditional, unending love. You see, as children of God, what you and I need to recognize is that we now have a place to belong. We are a part of the family. I talk to young adults and senior adults all the time that their greatest desire is to say, I just want to belong. I just want to find out where I'm supposed to be. Well, church, let me tell you, as a child of God, you have a place. You belong. You fit. You see, all of the names and the titles that we have on this earth, dad, son, mom, husband, wife, those are all important titles. They all are hard fought. They all mean so much to us. But those titles don't hold our identity. Because you see, we're all going to fail at those titles. 
I fail as a husband all the time. I fail as a dad. I fail as a son. And while I love that name and those names, what John wants us to remember is your identity is wrapped around this title. You are a child of God. Now, I don't know about you, but probably the second strangest thing that's happened to me as an adult is when I'm talking to my kids and in the middle of talking to my kids, all of a sudden my mouth will open up and words will begin to come out of my mouth. And as they come out of my mouth, I hear my mom or my dad's voice. Amen? My dad used to have what I always call the stupidest question a parent can ever ask. What's the dumbest question a parent can ever ask? Do you want a spanking? Amen? Is that not... My dad would ask me, do you want a spanking? Yes, sir. Thank you. I'll take one. You know, what, what is, there's no answer for that, right? So I always told myself growing up, I'm never going to ask that. That's just the craziest question. And I can remember when my son was five or six and I was losing my temper and he'd done something wrong. And I went over to him and I said, listen, do you want a sp-? And I realized that I was starting to become my dad. See, even more stranger than that. For us adults, is the moment that you look at a picture or you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you see your mom or dad smiling back at you. And you realize that you can't fight genes and you can't fight hereditary and you can't fight all those years you spent around them. You see, John wants to remind us That is the same way we resemble our earthly parents. As we become more like the children of God we are, we start to resemble our Heavenly Father. And that title carries responsibility. You see, the more we pursue God, the more we pray, the more we read, the more we sing, the more He rubs off on us. And the more we become like Him, And before we know it, we all of a sudden find ourselves turning away from sin and stepping out on faith and and being obedient. Why? Because His love and who He is compels us to that. You see, John wants us to understand you are a child of God. But you have a responsibility to live up to what that means. I grew up in a small town. Same town my dad grew up in. Some of you may have had that kind of background, uh, living in a small town, the same place that your parents grew up. Uh, Unfortunately, my dad had three brothers, uh, all around the same age as my dad. And each of those brothers, each had at least two sons. Some had three and four sons. So in our small town, we had a lot of Gunthers roaming around. And Gunther is not a uh, very common name. So we had a lot of Gunthers. And unfortunately, uh, my three older cousins were Robert and Roger and Ricky, and I was Rusty. So we had a lot of our Gunthers, uh, and we all looked the same. Uh, You can't deny. Matter of fact, my cousin Ricky, who's also a pastor, uh, looks so much like me that when I've gone and preached for him, people in his congregation didn't know that it wasn't him preaching. Uh, because we look so similar. When I turned 15, I got a job at Sears in our mall 
selling TVs and stereos. That was back when TVs were part of the furniture, uh, the big TVs, and uh, I enjoyed doing that. Uh, it was the main hangout of our new town, this little mall. But the craziest thing is my name tag just said R. Gunther. And living in that small town with all of those cousins and all of my parents' uh, friends and my dad's friends, I I will tell you from the time I started work there to the time that I went off to college, there was not a night that went by that someone wouldn't walk up to me. They wouldn't look at my name tag. And then they'd look at my face and they'd say, Whose son are you? See, all of this is John's way of reminding us. Yes, you have an incredible love being lavished on you. Yes, you have a new name and identity. But you also need to recognize that whether you know it or not, whether you see it or whether you hear it, every day, people come in contact with you. They watch you. And they listen to you. And they ask, whose child are you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the love of God that overwhelms us. Father, forgive us when we take it for granted. Forgive us when we sing these songs about your love and we don't even think about it. They're just words now. Father, give me a passion like John who at 90 years of age still couldn't even finish a thought because he was overwhelmed contemplating the love that you have for him. So on fire because your love compels him. Father, let us know that we are your children, your sons and daughters. We have a place. We belong. We have a family. We've been chosen. We also have a responsibility. God, let us walk in light of that responsibility. your name I pray. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing our hymn of invitation. I believe there may be someone here this morning that's never experienced the love of Christ. You hear us talking about it, you hear us singing about it, but in your heart, you've never grasped that love that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about that, I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just need to pray. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you'd like to, this church to become a part of your body and this body. If you do that, I'll be here at the front. But for most of us, I just want you to think about that love this morning as we close. Just think about that title. Somebody says, who are you? I'm a child of God. Somebody says, you're not fast enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not handsome enough or pretty enough or you don't fit in here or you're not with us. You need to listen to the voice of God saying, you are my child. And that means more than any of those others' opinion ever will. We just stand. We're going to sing hymn number 411. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. As Charlie comes and leads us, you worship.